Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been around Wildwood the last number of months, you know that we've been walking through the book of Romans. Uh, Back in the the fall of 2015, we began a study of the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and we've walked systematically through the book of Romans until now we are in the last section, chapter 15, verse 14, to the end of the book. And the end of the book of Romans really is uh, a time where Paul is reminding the Romans of the mission that Christ had given him and inviting them to join him in that mission. And so we are titling the last four messages in our study of Romans, Co-Mission, a mission that we have together in Christ. And so we're beginning that today. We'll wrap it up around Thanksgiving, and we are excited to to do that together as we look at God's Word. Now, before we we look at uh, Romans 15, verses 14 through 21 together today, I want to just make a, a comment about how Paul ends this book. See, the the letter to the Romans, the epistle to the Romans, is a great theological work. As a matter of fact, uh, most would say it is the finest Christian theological work that has ever been written. Paul was inspired by the Spirit of God to communicate big truths about who we are, about who God is, about how we are reconciled to God through Christ. In over 16 chapters, uh, he has communicated that to us. It is a great theological work. But what's fascinating to me is that Paul ends this theological work with a call to be on mission. And I think that's interesting because we don't always consider evangelism or mission to be the end of good theology. I don't know if you have ever read a systematic theology book before, but maybe Calvin's Institutes or um, maybe you've read... Grudem's Systematic Theology, or This is a Dust Collector in Your House, uh, something like that. Or if you have, are familiar with Lewis Berry Chafer's Systematic Theology, this is a collection of, of books that I got my very first day at seminary, um, and we worked through over a number of years. Um, these were books that describe, I mean, think about the beauty of Paul. He said it in 16 chapters, just a few pages. It took Chafer something this big. It took Grudem something this big. Paul inspired by the Spirit of God, was very direct. But as they, these books have, have come to us, and we've read them, and we're familiar with systematic theologies, we don't always read these books and then end, after reading those books, inspired to share our faith. Sometimes these books make us smarter, but they don't necessarily translate into our lives. Um, sadly, I could say that that's somewhat true of me. When I came to faith in Christ, I had a lot of fire Um, in in my soul. And I wanted to share Christ with everyone that I knew. Um, It was that way in high school. It was that way in in college. Um, As a matter of fact, after college, I I believe God was leading me into ministry, and so I didn't know what that would look like, but I ended up at Dallas Seminary. And I I went to Dallas Seminary thinking, you know what, I can only be here for about 18 months, because after 18 months, I need to go change the world. It's just how I felt at that time. Um, Now, there's some 22-year-old naivety in that, Um, but that was how I felt. But, you know, after spending four years at seminary and reading books like this, I'm sad to say that I left with not that same level of of burning in my soul to share my faith with others. Now, that is not the fault of Dallas Seminary. It's one of the finest schools 
in the world. But something was happening in my soul. As I was learning truth, it was shaping my mind, but it wasn't necessarily lighting my heart. It wasn't necessarily translating to my hands. And I don't know if any of you have had this experience before. You come to Christ and you have this fire to tell others about Jesus, but over time you've, you've heard sermon after sermon, you've attended Bible study after Bible study, you've read book after book and blog post after blog post, and you know a lot more than you did the day that you believed, but do you have that same fire for evangelism? Friends, one of the things that is interesting to me about the book of Romans is that Paul ends this great theological treatise with a call to share our faith. He does so through a personal testimony, and Paul is is telling us that, that all of this that he knows, it reinforces his role that God has called him to share the gospel with others, and he invites the Romans to join him, and friends, he invites us to join him as well. There's a pattern that should happen with our theology And that is that our theology, our knowledge of God, ought to lead us to worship Him. But as we worship Him, we ought to be reminded that there are those who don't know Christ, who desperately need to know Christ, or they'll be separated from God forever. Therefore, our worship leads to witness. And as we witness to others for Christ, we would bring them back with us so that they would worship God. And as we worship God, we're reminded of our witness to worship to witness. This is the the cycle of the Christian life. We need to be reminded of this truth, and Paul reminds us of that in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. So I want us to read these together and to begin our discussion of this commission from Romans 15 and 16 today. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. It's my hope and prayer that, that God uses his word today to light the fire in our soul to tell others about Jesus. Paul writes and says this. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Friends, Paul writes here and he tells us at least a couple of things today that I think that we need to remember as we live out our lives on mission with Christ. The very first thing that I think we see is found in verses 14 and the first part of verse 15, and that is this. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember who we are. Now, in order for these verses to make sense, we need to remember that Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome, a church that he had never visited. Paul had had never set foot in Rome, had never interacted with the Roman church 
as it had been constituted in that way. And so, Paul writes this letter to a church that he had never visited. Now, it's almost as if Paul is anticipating, as he begins verse 14, it's almost as if he's anticipating some resistance inside of the Roman church where they might go, hey, do you even know us? You're speaking so boldly to us about how we should live out our Christian life. I mean, how do you know these things about us? How do you, do you even realize who we are? Have you ever come, why don't you come, Paul, and just go to the the, the potluck in the fellowship hall at the First Church of Rome and spend an afternoon there with us, and then maybe you could write this letter. Paul almost is anticipating some pushback because he had never visited before he wrote this letter. But Paul was not absent of information about the church in Rome. We see throughout the book of Romans that Paul was familiar with them through a number of different ways. In chapter 1 of Romans, we hear Paul talk about the reputation of the Roman church that had, had flowed throughout the world. Paul was aware of their reputation. Uh, Chapter 16 of the book of Romans lets us know that Paul had some mutual friends to the church in Rome as they correspond back and forth. And so Paul was aware of their reputation and probably aware of their reputation in part because of things he had heard from mutual friends about the church in Rome. But not only did Paul have the overlap of some friends and of the, the reputation, but Paul also knew some things about the church in Rome because he knew what God had given to all Christians. See, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says that all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places have been given to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul writes to the church in Rome, because of the reputation that they had, because of the mutual friends that he knew about their, their testimony and their faith, he believed that they were Christians. And because he knew they were Christians, he knew there were various things that were true about them as a church. And so he wrote to them and challenged them and encouraged them. And so what we see in verse 14 is Paul making some comments about the church in Rome. He says here, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. He says, there there are some things that I, I believe are true about you, fellow Christians in Rome. He says that you yourselves, first of all, are full of goodness. Paul knew that they were full of goodness. Now, what does that mean? I think that this is talking about somewhat of a moral orientation of the believers in Rome. That Christians in Rome were living out a life that was in accord with the direction of God's Word. They were full of goodness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that God has prepared good works that we would walk in them. And I believe Paul was saying here that they were walking in the good works that God had prepared for them as a church. That was their reputation. That was what was confirmed by these friends. That was what Paul knew was true of believers in Christ. In a sense, we could say that about us. Those who are here who are believers in Jesus Christ, I could say to you today, I'm satisfied, I'm convinced of this, that God is full of goodness in you. He has good plans for you to walk in them. The the character and the quality of your life is that you are obedient to Christ. Not in a perfection sort of a way, but in a trajectory of your life, you're obedient to Him. Paul said that of the church in Rome. We could say that of the believers who are gathered here as well. So you're full of goodness. This is the second thing, though. He says is that you are filled with all knowledge. Now, what is he talking about, saying that we are filled with all knowledge, the the Romans? He says they're filled with all knowledge. Does this mean that they 
knew every trivia question, that they knew every fact, that they would win on Jeopardy. I mean, what, what's, he, what's he getting at here? He's not talking about every piece of information they could possibly know. But what Paul was saying was that they were filled with a knowledge of God. Paul could have confidence in saying this, again, not just because of their reputation, but because of the theology behind it. See, Paul knew that all believers in Christ were recipients of a new covenant from God, a new agreement that God had with man, an agreement that was described in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, as being God writing on our hearts His law and His Word, so that believers and followers of Christ have written on the inside of their hearts, on the inside of their lives, God's Word, so that when they hold God's Word in their hands and they read it, there is something inside of their hearts that resonates with that Word. You know, when we gather in a room like this as followers of Christ, I know that when I open up this book and I read these words, that there is something within you that is going, yes. How can I have confidence of that? Because I believe that if we are no Christ, that we are a part of a new covenant that God has written His law on your hearts and there is a resonance that you have to the things of God. Paul knew that was true of the Romans. It's something that is true of us as well. There is a moral quality of our lives. There is an intellectual knowledge of God. But he goes on and he says that, they're also, that they were, were able to instruct one another. This deals with a functional part of the Christian life. Paul believed that believers were equipped for ministry. They were designed and equipped, empowered by the Spirit of God to have an impact on others, to one another, one another and point each other to Christ. This is something that was true of the Romans. It's something that is true of us today. It's why we gather, we encourage one another in Christ. Paul writes to these believers, and he lets them know that morally and intellectually and functionally, there are things that are true about them. And because those things are true, he wants them to remember who they are. What he says in verse 15, he says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Paul was admitting here, I'm not going to tell you a bunch of new things. I'm going to remind you of some very old things. I'm going to remind you of what you already know. I'm going to remind you of what God has already written on your soul. I'm going to remind you of the good works that you already are being empowered by the Spirit of God to walk in. We're going to come together by way of reminder, Paul says. John MacArthur says this in his commentary on Romans regarding this passage. He says, Even for the best of minds, with the sincerest devotion, that which is not kept familiar eventually will be forgotten. Isn't that true? We gather together, friends, to encourage one another to remember who we are, to remember who God is, to remember the things that He's called us to. You know, if you've been around church for any period of time, you you probably have heard some of this before. So why come back? Some of you are asking that right now. We come back week after week. We gather in small groups week after week. We teach our kids Sunday after Sunday. We go to women's retreat after women's retreat and men's pine cove after men's pine cove. Why do we do these things, friends? We do it because we need to remind ourselves of these truths. We need to remember these things. Paul saw his ministry not so much as speaking new things, but as reminding them of old things, of pointing them back to Christ. And we gather together and we 
remember who we are. But as we remember who we are, what mission should we be on? What mission should we be reminded of? Well, Paul is going to outline that for us in verses 15 to 21. And the mission that Paul outlines there is this. He says that we are boldly to reach others for Christ. We are to boldly reach others for Christ. Now, Paul began with making comments about them. He says, I'm satisfied that you are morally and intellectually and functionally equipped by God. He, he, He makes that admission up front. But in this second part of this section, he really holds up his own life and ministry. And he says, let me remind you of the mission that God has called us on by describing to you my life and my experience. And what we're going to see as he moves into next week is that Paul's going to invite them to participate with him in this mission. This is a co-mission that Paul wanted to have with the Romans. It's a co-mission that we can share with him as well. A mission of boldly reaching others for Christ. Now in these verses here, I made just observations of of ten different things that remind us of what it means to to boldly reach others for Christ. Ten admissions that are in this passage, ten declarations. The first one that we see is this, that the opportunity to reach others for Christ is a gift given from God. It's a gift given from God. We see this in verses 15 and 16. Paul says, On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul saw his ministry to the Gentiles as a gift from God. The word grace means gift. Given by God not because Paul earned it as a prize, but because God gave it as an expression of his mercy and grace. God gave Paul a ministry to the non-Jewish people. Paul was given this ministry for him to go around the world and to tell the non-Jewish people of the world that they could be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul saw that as a gift. In a sense, you could think of it this way. Paul viewed the ministry opportunities he had among the Gentiles like a, a package with a bow on top and a little card that said, from God to Paul. It was right there for him, the the ministry opportunities he had to the Romans and to the other Gentiles of the world. Now, friends, here is the implication for us. The sovereign God of the universe also has given us grace. He also has given us gifts of opportunities of reaching out to others in ministry. He has wrapped up opportunities for ministry and put a bow on them and a little tag that says, to Shane from God. This says, to Doug from God. This says, to Ann from God. And when you see that tag, what's inside of that are the opportunities that God has given you for ministry. For, for some, that opportunity might be Mission Norman this Christmas time. It might be food and shelter for friends and the opportunity that we have there once a month to, to share a meal, provide a meal in our community. 
It might be opportunities that you have in relationships in your neighborhood or through your school or through your your kids' school or opportunities inside of your family or opportunities you have with a small group or with a class that you teach and lead. It's been wrapped up before you as a gracious gift of God, placed there with your name on it. Opportunities for ministry, friends, are given by God to us. We need to remember that. And we remember that they are gifts from God. We ought to have a boldness about us, a boldness to, to open that gift and to utilize. That's the second thing that we see here is there's a boldness involved. The first part of verse 15, he says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me. You see, if you see a present with your name on it, you can boldly open it. As we head towards Christmas, there'll be packages that'll be wrapped at my house. And some of those packages will have my son's name on them. Others of them won't. Now, at some point between now and Christmas, at the appropriate time, when a present is there, it's time to open a present, if he comes out and what he sees is a present with his name on it, you know what I want him to do with it? I want him to boldly open that present. I don't want him to go, really, is this for me, and kind of pick at the corners? We're not saving the paper. You may do that at your house. Don't judge me. We're going to throw it away at ours. He can boldly rip into that. He can boldly open it up with the expectation that what is inside is for him. And when we realize that God has wrapped up opportunities around us and placed them in front of us, we can boldly open them, realizing that God has that ministry for us. What are the opportunities that the Lord has wrapped up and placed before you? How can you open it up and step into that in your your school, in your work, in your neighborhood? They're gifts from God, therefore we can be bold. Third thing we see is that boldly reaching out is a, a priestly duty. It's a priestly duty. We see this in, as the passage continues, he talks about boldly reaching out says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, verse 16, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, now catch this. When we think about priests in the Bible, one of the things that we think about often is the Old Testament priests. The Old Testament priests, there was a select set of people who were go-betweens between man and God, between the nation of Israel and God. They were go-betweens in that they would prepare sacrifices where they would take living animals and they would kill them so that the people of God could be reconciled to God. That's what they did. There was a select group of people that served in that role. But now we live in a New Testament time. In the New Testament time, there is no longer a need for us to have a go-between between God and man. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. So there's an opportunity for all of us to have access to God directly through the work of Christ. And yet Paul here calls us priests, and he calls his role in evangelism a priestly duty. Well, here's what has happened to us in Christ. In Christ, God invites all who know Jesus to become priests, not a select set, but he invites all of us. Peter will call us a kingdom of priests. 
He invites all of us as a kingdom of priests to serve a very special duty before God. And here's what that duty is. It's not to take a living animal and to present them before God so that we might kill them, but it is that we would take a spiritually dead person and bring them before the God of the universe that he might make them spiritually alive. What a sacred opportunity we have in evangelism to help dead people spiritually find new life in Christ. And what an upgrade for us personally, friends. No longer are we stained by the blood of animals, but we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. The opportunity that we have as followers of Christ to engage in this priestly duty, it's a sacred calling. It's something that God has given to us. We need to be bold as we walk forward in it. Fourth thing that we see is that we can celebrate. We can celebrate. He says in verse 17, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Paul says, I'm going to celebrate what God has done through my ministry. Not because Paul thought he was great, but because he knew God was great. And he was going to celebrate the fact that Gentiles had come to faith in Christ. And you know what? As we gather today as a group of believers in Christ, we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate what God is doing around us. We do that through testimony. We do that through encouraging one another and talking about what God has done. But as it relates to people coming to faith in Christ, we need to celebrate God's faithfulness in saving those around us that we know. And one of the big ways that we do that as a church is through baptism. It's through water baptism. And and next Sunday night, Um, November the 13th at 5.30 p.m., we're going to have a night of worship and celebration and baptism right here in this room. We're going to gather and we're going to sing and we're going to praise God together. And then we're going to hear the stories of over 20 people who have placed their faith in Christ. And we're going to cheer and we're going to celebrate and we're going to watch them profess that faith through water baptism. And that's going to be a night to celebrate, but not because we're great but because God is great and he has been at work and so we can be proud, we can boast of what God has done and we're gonna do that next Sunday night and we all should be there. What an opportunity. And for the first time, really, we're, Wildwood is gonna have that baptism right here in this room. Right, right here in front of us, um, on, at this spot right here, we're bringing in a portable baptismal tank. Now, if you've been around Wildwood for a while, you, you know that we have a baptistry over in the children's building where we've had a number of our baptisms, and we've had uh, baptisms in swimming pools around town and those kinds of things. That's been our heritage, but we're going to have it here. Why are we having the tank in here on Sunday night? We're having the tank in here on Sunday night because we've got too many people being baptized that everybody who wants to come and celebrate won't even be able to see it over in that room. So we're going to do it right here in this room together. We can come and celebrate what God has done in the lives of those around us. It's one of the things that happens when we boldly reach out. We get to celebrate the work of God. Fifth thing that we see is we get to see that boldly reaching out is a process of Jesus working through us. First part of verse 18 lets us know this. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, Paul had a sense that Jesus was at work through him and through his ministry to to bring the Gentiles to a relationship with God. It was Christ who was at work through him. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he gave a great commission 
He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But what did he say after that? He said, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the the task of evangelism is not something that Jesus has just delegated and said, hey, it's up to you guys now. It's something that Jesus wants to continue to work through us. It's a sacred opportunity to partner with Christ that he might work through us, calling people to faith in himself. What a privilege and what an opportunity that we have to see Jesus work right here. You know, as we gather today and we encourage one another with what God is doing We're reminded of the fact that we're not alone in this mission because we're surrounded by the body of Christ. But theologically, we also know that Jesus is making his appeal through us for people to come to a relationship with himself. Next thing that we see, sixth thing, is that boldly reaching out leads to discipleship. We don't just try to have people make decisions for Christ. We want people to be disciples of Christ. Paul saw that as what happened with the outflow of his ministry. He says in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. See, the people who had trusted Christ through Paul's ministry ended up following Christ. This is why when people come to Christ around us, we want to include them in what we're doing. We want to sit down and follow up with them, certainly, but also and bring them, include them in church, include them in small group, include them in Sunday school classes that you're a part of. We, we invite them to be a part of the, the community of believers because they are one, but also so that they might learn to follow Christ in all ways. That's something bolding reaching out leads to. Seventh thing, boldly reaching out is something that is done in word and deed. Paul says at the end of verse 18, by word and deed, Paul, his message matched his lifestyle. In the same way as we reach out, our lives need to back up what we proclaim to be true. Again, not that we are perfect people. There are no perfect people. But we are perfectly forgiven and we acknowledge that. We're dependent upon that, trusting Christ for the direction for our lives. The eighth thing that we see is Spirit's power. We boldly reach out. We do so in the Spirit's power. Verse 19 lets us know this. He says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the the Spirit of God authenticating his ministry as an apostle of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to look at these passages, but I would encourage you to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 as great passages that demonstrate how God authenticated the ministry of the apostles through signs and wonders, through miracles. We see this in the book of Acts where God would authorize and say, I'm with Paul or I'm with Peter by the healing of a crippled man or by even in some instances the resurrection of somebody from the dead. Those were authenticating miracles. They were signs and wonders that God gave to authenticate the ministry of the apostles. And part of what you should be wondering is, well, do those signs and wonders exist today? And the answer to that, of course, is an emphatic yes. And and how do I know that that's true? I know that that's true because the Chicago Cubs won the World Series 
this last week. Of course it's true, right? I'm a Cardinals fan. I've been trying to deal with that all week. Um, no, do these signs and wonders exist today? Here's, here's the reality. God is absolutely able to authenticate and to work any miracle that he wants to work without giving any apology to us. He's absolutely able to do that. But I do think there is something unique about the first century in terms of the authentication of the ministry of the apostles. Before the New Testament was written, God said, I'm with them. And the way he did it was through authenticating miracles. I think that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 15. I think that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. I think it's what is talked about in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. But it's interesting, beyond just signs and wonders, he also mentions that the Spirit of God is, is powerful. And, and friends, that is absolutely accurate today. The Spirit of God does the heavy lifting in leading people to Christ. We cannot bring anyone from spiritual death to light, life. But the Spirit of God can. And by the power of the Spirit of God, we engage in boldly reaching out to others. Ninth thing that we see is that the boldly reaching out is comprehensive in scope. We see this in the second part of verse 19. Paul said that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. This is somewhat of a a modest summary of Paul's 10 years of missionary adventures. He had begun over in Jerusalem. He had progressed 1,400 miles to Illyricum. And he said, in all of those places and everywhere in between, I faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, map my ministry, and everywhere you go, you'll see that I proclaim Christ there. When we think of boldly reaching out, we need to be reminded that we can map our ministry as well. That it's important for us in all of the different avenues and venues of our life to proclaim the gospel. Now, when, when you came in today, you probably got a little green card like this. If you got one of these, take it out and just kind of wave it at me so I know you got it. Um, if you didn't get one, they're, they're at every door and you can grab one as you leave today. But this little card is just an effort to help us map our ministry just as Paul mapped his. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, we might be able to map our lives as well. And on this card, there are are several different boxes listed here that are different stops that we might have in the journey of our life, our home or our neighborhood, our work or our school, hobbies and activities that we're a part of, and then the world. And what I would challenge you to do is at some point today to spend some time in prayer and think who is one person in each of those areas of my life that doesn't know Christ that I could begin to be praying for that God might use me to reach out to? Who's somebody in your home? It could be a roommate. It could be somebody in your family. It could be somebody who lives on your street. Who in your work in school, coworker, classmate, somebody that you have activities with? Who are people in your life that you know that you might be able to, to be praying for and that God might use you to reach out to boldly? Use this as a tool to help you map your ministry as Paul did from Jerusalem to Illyricum. This is something that I'm going to be doing today. It's something our small group is going to be doing tonight. And I would invite you to participate in this as well. One of the things that we do is remember that the gospel is comprehensive in scope. And the tenth thing I want us to see is this. The gospel goes to the ends of the earth. 
Verses 20 and 21 make this clear. Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul had this pioneer missionary endeavor that he was on, taking the gospel, not just where it had been invited, but where it had not yet been invited, but was desperately needed. It wasn't a problem to build on someone else's foundation for others in ministry, but Paul knew that for the gospel to do what it was intended to do, it needed to go to the ends of the earth, to places that had not yet been invited, to places where it had not yet planted a flag. And so Paul went and proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. And you know what? We today are still invited on that journey to take the gospel to places where it has not yet been invited. And as a church, we have the opportunity to do that. On your little map, your ministry card, once again, there's a fourth box, and that is the box of the world. We have the opportunity to pray for people we don't know, that the gospel would go forth there. And I would encourage you to add to this card, and keep this card with you in your Bible, to add to this card an opportunity that extends beyond our city, beyond our state, beyond our nation. It could be a missionary that you're aware of and a country and a people that you're aware of that you might begin or continue to pray for. It might be a place that you visited on a short-term mission trip or, or wherever. But if, if you are looking for something to fill in that blank, Wildwood has a number of missionary partners. And on our website, under the Mission tab, you can find information about some of our missionaries that you might be able to fill one of their names or the country where they're ministering in here that we might be able to be praying for them. Because God has invited us, friends, on a mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, we've been invited to boldly reach out to others. What an exciting opportunity we have to not just watch the parade of faith go by, but to be used by God to help others join in and to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. How will God use you? How will God use me to that end? Now, I'm going to invite our worship team to come And they're going to end our time by helping lead us in a song. But as they prepare to do that, I want to just end by by boldly reaching out. The message that we just walked through was a message to, to the brothers and sisters in Christ. It was to those who know Jesus. But I believe in a room like this, there are people here who don't yet know Christ as their Savior. And so I want to boldly reach out to you today because I believe that you are a gift that God has given us today. And the opportunity exists for you today to place your faith and your trust in Christ. You can begin a relationship with him right now and join us on this most significant of mission, helping others walk with God forever. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm thankful for the time to be together today, and I'm thankful for your work in the lives of each of us. And I pray today, Father, for any who are here who have never placed their faith and trust in in Jesus. That, Father, even today as we talk about this mission that you have given to us, Father, that they would join us on that mission and that they would see their sins forgiven as they trust in Jesus from their hearts. Father, that you would help them to understand that we are sinners, but you are gracious and that you have provided a way through Christ for us to be with you forever. Father, thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say.